Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch a podcast dedicated to up-to-the-minute reporting and analysis each weekday night of this historic and fast-moving impeachment inquiry. In a few minutes, we'll be talking with Ross Garber, CNN legal analyst who has extensive experience litigating impeachment charges. Uh, But first, I'm joined by my colleague, CNN reporter and producer Marshall Cohen, who is one of our lead reporters on this impeachment inquiry. Marshall, thank you so much for coming back to the podcast. Good to be here. So, Marshall, obviously, um, in fact, on yesterday's podcast, uh, Zach Wolf was here and he's like talking about you never know when some of these bit players are going to come out and be big, huge, important developments. Um, all of a sudden, uh, we we learned today that the witness up on Capitol Hill, who I just want to say is the first witness on two fronts. One, currently still working in the White House. That's right. Two, on the July 25th phone call. Even more important. Right. So so those two things are a first uh, is what we have in, I think his rank is Lieutenant Colonel uh, Vindman, um, who is up on the Hill. Fascinating backstory we'll get to in a moment. But Marshall, tell us what we know about what he is telling investigators today. It's it's incredible. It really is. And, and Zach is totally right. You know, Alexander Vindman uh, is not a household name. Uh, and very few people in Washington probably could have pinpointed his exact identity or his role before this inquiry. So he was on the call, uh, and he told lawmakers uh, earlier today that he was so concerned by what he heard on that call that he reported it to uh, his bosses and to a lawyer, uh, basically call the lawyer. Do we know what his concerns were about what concerned yeah, we him that we heard, that he heard on the call? We do. And and I'll give you a quote here from the testimony. He said that, um, quote, outside influencers, thinking of Giuliani here, were pushing a false narrative about Ukraine that was harmful to U.S. government policy and undermining U.S. government policy. And that during the phone call, the president picked up on some of those false narratives about the ambassador that was ousted, about Burisma and the Bidens, things like that. So, Vindman, it's literally his job to help steer U.S. policy, official government policy regarding Ukraine. That's literally this guy's job. Like, he is the expert on the National Security Council dealing with the Ukraine portfolio. That's correct. Yeah. And he's sitting there saying, hold on a minute. What what is going there are these there are these I'm I'm part of the chain of command. We set the policy. We coordinate with state. We coordinate with the Pentagon. We're talking to the White House, et cetera, et cetera. And Giuliani and his now indicted associates, Parnas and Fruman, you know, they're they're stirring up some stuff. And that was ringing the alarm bells for Colonel Vindman. The other thing that I thought 
uh, is particularly interesting and may be particularly important here is that the July 25th phone call was not the first uh, occurrence of a red flag or an alarm bell going off for Vinman, the expert on the NSC. Um, it's also this July 10th meeting that we've been hearing about. Is that not the case? You're totally right. And it's it's I, frankly, you know, I, I think they're adding some meat on the bones here. You know, this whole impeachment inquiry started with the call, the call. Trump says it was a perfect call. Democrats say it was almost a treasonous call, right? It's so much bigger than the call. So this meeting, July 10th, uh, the new Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, his top national security advisor, comes to Washington to get to know the people in the White House and to try to secure a date for the face-to-face, the first face-to-face meeting between Trump and Zelensky. And according to Vindman's testimony, during that meeting, the U.S. ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sunland, a Trump appointee, brought up the need that Ukraine would need to deliver specific investigations first if they wanted to secure that meeting at the White House with Donald Trump. And those investigations, Sundland later told Vindman and others, we're talking about Burisma. When you say later, you mean that day, correct? That day, later like in that a day. Debrief meeting that went on after the meeting. Yeah. So once the Ukrainian guy was out, right. they all huddled. The Americans huddled and, and said, okay, basically, what the hell is going What the hell was that? Um, and, and Sunland says, well, you know, we're talking about Biden's Burisma and getting to the bottom of the 2016 election. And what did Vinman do when he heard that? He went to the lawyer. So he's gone. He, the lawyer. He went to the lawyer after that July 10th incident. He went to a lawyer again after the July 25th phone call, and he expressed concerns. So here's a question I have for you: The president keeps saying, "Where is the whistleblower? Where is the whistleblower? Is the whistleblower pertinent anymore to this?" Because now we have a, an on-the-record account here under oath uh, from somebody who was on the call and part of the lead-up to that call. I mean, objectively, I would say. No. In most senses, no, the whistleblower is not that important. Literally, I guess the idea or the definition of a whistleblower is somebody who sees something wrong and raises the red flag. They plant a flag in the sand and say, I'm seeing something wrong. Well, in this case, I don't know that this person saw something wrong as much as heard from other people who saw or heard something wrong. I've learned of things that that I think are wrong. Please investigate. And Democrats on the Hill are investigating. It just seems that whole uh, that whole talking point from the White House about uh, not a firsthand account uh, is clearly out the window now. Yeah, uh, that's over. And so I, I do want to b- before we take a break, Marshall, I do want to sort of delve into the political fallout of, of this, because uh, we have heard uh, even from CNN's own contributor, Sean Duffy, former Republican congressman this morning. We've heard some Republicans, some Fox News hosts, others, um, perhaps the president himself, which I'll get to in a moment, uh, question Vinman's credentials here. I- I'll read the president's tweet here. Supposedly, according to the corrupt media, the Ukraine call, quote, concerned, unquote, today's never Trumper witness. He calls this guy a never Trumper. I don't know how the president knows anything about Vindman's politics. Was he on the same call that I was? Can't be possible. Please ask him to read the transcript of the call witch hunt. So uh, Duffy went on to sort of question 
uh, Vimin's loyalties because he was born in an area of the Soviet Union that is now Ukraine. And uh, I think came to the United States at the age of three, maybe, uh, with his twin brother and his family uh, to get out of uh, Ukraine. Obviously, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, uh, Purple Heart recipient. This is this is somebody who is nothing short of a patriot and American hero, which, by the way, I don't want people to think all Republicans are on the Donald Trump, Sean Duffy, Fox talking points. I want you to hear uh, Congresswoman Liz Cheney uh, this morning uh, talking to the press after a House Republican conference meeting. Now, I also want to say a word about something else that's been going on over the course of the last several hours and, and last night. Uh, which I think is also shameful. And that is questioning the patriotism, questioning the dedication to country of people uh, like Mr. Vindman, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, who will be coming today, um, and others who have testified. Uh, I think that we need to show that we are better than that as a nation. Their, their patriotism, their love of country. We're talking about decorated veterans who have served this nation, who have put their lives on the line. And it is shameful to question their patriotism their love of this nation, and we should not be involved in that process. That's one of President Trump's top allies in Congress, actually, not always on foreign policy, I understand, but a, but a top ally who's calling his behavior and some of his compatriots' behavior shameful. What do you make of what Liz Cheney had to say? Well, I'm, I'm really taken aback by the fact that she mentioned uh, Colonel Vindman by name. You know, so often in recent years, when you do see President uh, Republicans taking that rare step of rebuking Donald Trump. Uh, They often do it in very, you know, shrouded language that sort of just puts their finger on the issue for like a half second and then take it away. And but this was a very direct condemnation of exactly what we've seen in the last 24 hours. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's a strong term, shameful. Uh, Look, I, I think any fair person would agree that it is pretty shameful. And and there's a um, you know, there, there's a xenophobic element to labeling somebody that was born in the Soviet Union, uh, three years old, came to America as maybe having this strange dual loyalty. It, it's it's definitely uh, inappropriate. It's, yeah, it is shameful. It's more than inappropriate. And uh, it is so offensive uh, to to what America is about. Uh, it was... Uh, it was comforting, actually, to hear Liz Cheney, a high-ranking Republican in Congress, uh, brush that back a bit. Okay, Marshall, stay right there. Uh, we're going to be joined by CNN legal analyst and impeachment expert Ross Garber right after this quick break. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. I'm David Chalian. Marshall Cohen is still with me. And we're pleased to welcome CNN legal analyst Ross Garber. Thank you so much for being back on the podcast, Ross. It's good to be here. So my first question to you, the impeachment expert who has gone through this process uh, on multiple occasions, what you have read about uh, the Vindman testimony, did President Trump's case become more difficult today or less difficult today? So I'd say less difficult. I'd say more difficult. But I I caution everybody to sort of wait to see how it plays out, because one of the things we haven't seen yet, curiously enough, is much of a Trump defense. And and, and the sort of efforts at, at defense we've seen really haven't gone so well, including the, the one criticizing Vindman today. Um, but yeah, it, it's not a good day when somebody who works in your White House uh, goes across town 
testifies at the Capitol that what they saw you doing was so alarming that they had to alert their superiors and the uh, and the lawyers. It, it's not a good day. Now, that doesn't necessarily make it impeachable. No, but of course, impeachable, yeah. I guess, is whatever the House defines it no, to be. Well, right? I, well, no, there's, there's a constitutional standard, right? Yeah. It's treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And I think we're going to see some meat put on those bones, you know, over the next, you know, few weeks and months. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not a good day when when that kind of thing happens. You mentioned a lack of defense. That's interesting to me. I. Um, do you, are you surprised by there not, not being a more forceful, rigorous defense on the facts day in and day out from the administration? I, I, I am. I, I'm not surprised that there's not a sort of day to day defense of all of the facts. What I am surprised about, what I'm shocked about, is that there's no sort of coherent strategy for a defense. I don't. I, I watch this stuff very carefully. You guys do too. I don't know what the White House's defense is. Is it that uh, what the president did was entirely appropriate? Because if you, if that's the defense, we don't see a lot of people actually saying that and explaining it. The, the president does. Well, other other than the president, but we we don't. Yeah, he he seems to say that. But what you don't see is a lot of others uh, saying that. So is that going to be the defense? Because if that's going to be the defense, you're going to need it to hear it from more than just the president, or is the defense? All right, look, this stuff happened. It was not perfect, but it was not impeachable. Um, that is a that's sort of a different defense. That's almost kind of the the Mick Mulvaney get over it defense is, you know, all right, whatever. This happens and we need to get over it and it's not impeachable. Um, or is it something else, which I think we may start to see hints of, which is, look, um, these things happened and. Uh, the president may say, I had a lot of people around me. I had a lot of people sort of listening into these conversations. I had lawyers and no one told me that this was so bad. And, you know, I'm trying to implement U.S. policy. It's up to the president to do diplomacy. I'm doing diplomacy the best I can. And nobody told me that this was wrong. And I, in fact, I had a lot of people around whose job it is to tell me if something is wrong and nobody did it. And so you can't impeach a president, the president might say, for doing something that you disagree with. Wow. I mean, that begs uh, who had knowledge that he was going to bring up the Bidens on the call in advance to warn him against doing so. Yeah. Um, I wonder. That's a very good question. What uh, how do you think how would you put on a defense uh, like that of the president? Would, would you try to cross examine you know, would, would the Senate Republicans say, you know, Fiona Hill, did you ever, you know, did you ever tell the president this, that and the other? Like, why did you go and, you know, go to your boss and you didn't have the courage to warn Donald Trump? So, Marshall, maybe. But w- one of the big issues with that kind of defense is it probably comes best out of the mouth of a participant in it. It probably comes best out of. You know, the White House chief of staff, for example, who was involved in this stuff and, and, and were to say, you know, there were lots of people involved and nobody told the president that this was improper because we didn't think it was improper or somebody like that. But what that would do and the reason it's very problematic is it would force somebody like the White House chief of staff, somebody close to the president to actually go and testify about it. You can do some of it on cross-exam for sure, but it comes best on direct exam. Hmm. 
So that begs the question about process. And so we now know, Ross, that uh, Nancy Pelosi is sort of trying to get rid of the Republican talking a point about process here and is going to hold the vote or a vote, I should say, um, that uh, sets forth how this impeachment inquiry will play out procedurally going forward. It also is clearly going to be just from a political point of view, the vote that uh, Republicans will try to hang around the necks of moderate Democrats and say they're voting for impeachment, even though it's not the articles of impeachment. This is the closest thing they're going to get to a formalized vote on an impeachment inquiry, which they've been asking for. And now Pelosi is going to have the House vote on that. What do you expect we're going to learn here in terms of the process? How do, When is a cross-examination allowed? I mean, I, I think the last time you were on the podcast, we talked about, I recall, like, Ken Starr got to go up and testify before the House Judiciary Committee uh, about everything he found. David Kendall, the president's lawyer, then got some rebuttal time to that. Is that a model that we're going to see here? So I think that is going to be the model that is going to be the benchmark. The, the model was essentially the same in Nixon and Clinton, where the, the president's lawyers were allowed to cross-examine witnesses. And, they, you know, in, in Clinton, we saw that Kendall got to cross-examine Starr, but complained about the limited amount of time that he had. Um, the president's lawyers also in those situations got to present evidence of their own. So that's going to be the standard by which these proceedings are going to be judged. No matter what, I think the Republicans aren't going to love the procedure that comes out of this. But that's what I'm looking for is, are the president's lawyers going to get to cross-examine the witnesses and are they going to get to present evidence themselves? And when you say that, uh, do you mean in, let's say this is going to play out in House Judiciary, right? Those are the, that's the committee that votes out articles of impeachment. Do you mean in that House Judiciary proceeding? Do you mean in this House Intelligence? Or are we talking about down the road in a potential Senate trial when you have Democratic House impeachment managers as sort of the prosecutors in this case, allowing the president's team to then come in and, and make their case there? Yeah. For, so for sure, it's going to it's going to happen at the Senate trial. Now, I'm talking about now at the House phase. We don't yet know, as we're sitting here today recording this podcast, whether the open part of the, the process is going to happen at the Judiciary Committee or in the committees that are currently taking evidence. So I'm talking about wherever that open part happens. Is the, are the president's lawyers going to get to cross-examine the witnesses whose testimony is going to be used to make a, a to, as a basis for judgment by House members on whether to impeach or not? You mentioned the the open part of this process. Let me ask you about the closed part of this process because that's definitely the talking point from Republicans this past couple weeks. Is why are you doing this in secret? You're hiding it from the American people. It's a total sham. So given all of your expertise, how does everything that we've done, uh, that we've seen so far, stack up on the transparency scale? Yes, yeah, so Marshall, I'd be making the same arguments as the Republicans did. The, the issue is what's going to be used as a basis for making an impeachment decision. I think the Republicans would probably have a pretty legitimate point if these sort of secret one-sided depositions are being used by House members to actually make a, an impeachment decision or not. Um, on the other hand, if what happens now is we have an open process where what the House members are considering is testimony taken in public where the president's lawyers get to do cross-examination and, and those lawyers and Republican House members get to put on a defense, I think it becomes a lot more uh, acceptable and a rigorous process. I, I will just say 
it is hard to imagine that what you just depicted is not going to be what happens here, right? Most of the Democrats act like this phase is the Ken Starr phase, if you will, when he, with secret grand jury testimony, was able to collect facts. And then it moved to a public phase that I think gets at exactly what you're depicting, Ross. And it seems the Democrats would be hard-pressed not to do that, to have a real transparent process of this when it comes to, as you say, the actual material they're going to use uh, to make articles of impeachment. We're going to know soon. We are going to know soon. <laughs> no doubt about that. Marshall, Ross, thank you so much for joining me on the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. And thanks to our listeners. We've got a new podcast every weeknight. So please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on whatever your favorite podcast app is. And while you're there, please leave us a rating or a comment. It really helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.